Hey everyone, welcome to Kessel Run Collecting. I'm your host, Eric, and with me, my good friend, Matt. What's up? This is uh, kind of our episode one, in a way, because uh, we're doing this as a uh, audio podcast as well. So I'm going to have to figure out, is this episode one or is it episode 20, whatever? Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to decide how I'm going to do this numbering thing. So later in the show, we're going to be interviewing the customizer that goes by the name of Silov and take a look at some of his awesome, awesome customization work. But before that, we're going to go back over 2022, at least a little bit, because we aren't really Black Series collectors too much. We're primarily uh, vintage collection collectors. So we thought we'd go over our five best and five worst figures uh let's start with worst why don't we do that matt you want to go ahead all right in my fifth spot for fifth worst which means he's the least worst of all axe woes and it was a very and everyone knows why everyone has the same gripe which i have the removable helmet for Costco reeves and bo katan they both had swappable heads that shows those great portraits. And they said Axwell was, even though it shows in the, in the prototype part, is a swappable, swappable helmet, they gave him the removable helmet, which, if they shaved down his haircut and everything and made it look good, great. Both, uh, what's his name? I think it was Boba Fett. Um, uh, uh, Tamar Morrison? Tamar Morrison. He's a bald head guy. His helmets look great on him. The guy that plays Axe Wolves is not. And so when they put that helmet on, it's squishy and gummy looking. And I'm like, ugh. Okay, no. So I've seen some great customizers use the Death Watch Mandalorian to re repaint him and use him. Or he repaint that helmet to use. It looks glorious. Number five. Did not. One specific change was made somewhere along the production line to make it worse. So that's my fifth worst best. Which means it's almost, it could have been almost good and not on the list. <laughs> the, it's the least worst. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> My fourth worst. And this one really wasn't in a bad. We all have our complaints about the old clone body mold. has the skinny legs, but they've reused it for how many decades? Over a decade now. Many times. So we're used to it. But the Phase 1 Clone Trooper Build Pack. I'm not a Phase 1 Trooper guy. I keep them and I collect them just a little bit at a time. I'm more of a Phase 2 guy when it comes to clones. However, I did buy these, even though I didn't really care for his Phase 1 Clone Troopers. But they put in the officer we already have. or the and we didn't I think get the, the Lieutenant, the Green Strike yeah, one, right? That we didn't get, that we've never had. And that was a great opportunity missed. And to be honest, with you, it could it could have easily slid into that fifth spot with Axe Wolves. One specific change to could have been put that made it messed up. But the other three figures and the other the, overall, the figures are good, and that's the real reason I didn't got the fourth slot just because of that mental error on that. I almost put that at the fifth slot with Axe Wolves, but actually, I think I will. We'll swap those two. We'll put Phase One at five and Axe Wolves at four. Now that I think about it. Because X Wolves was a was a purposeful mistake made during made, made, changed during production, make it look worse. Well, 
the clone troopers was just a mint was a more of a mental situation where they just didn't put the right color in and all that is is paint so yeah so my number three and this one might surprise some people but when i saw it i was excited i heard about it it had its paint coating i was excited when i heard about its light piping i was even more excited but then i saw it and i got one in hand and i was disappointed the dark trooper I am an old school Dark Forces guy. I have quite a few of those like different phase Dark Troopers. It's the big one from the video game that looks awesome from the original video game with his huge jetpack and everything on. And I got these. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, these are gonna be sweet. They even made the paint nice and shiny like they're gonna be in the in the show. And I got it, and it's okay, but it's so short. It needs to be a full four-inch guy. Like, it needs to be a good head above uh, Pedro Pascal's Din Djarin. And he's really? maybe, he's maybe a forehead higher. So he's not really that big, much higher than him. And Matt, what I, did you expect? They would have to charge another $2 if they made him. Oh, we're getting course- to that. Don't you worry, my friend. Okay. <laughs> So that, and he comes only comes with one, ex- and I'm now I'm specifically talking about not the regular dark trooper either. I'm talking about the uh, I should have made this the um, look, I guess it, it, it does affect the dark trooper because it's the same mold. And then I know that the deluxe one comes with the charging station, but this one was with the flame effect that came with the rescue set with that uh, Dinjarin and the cloth goods cape, um, Moff Gideon. This wasn't a mental mistake. This was a full brand new figure from the ground up. This wasn't a repack like the, like the the Phase One Clone Trooper pack. This wasn't a mistake they made. Even though the rest of the figure is great, like with the helmet on Ice Wolves, this figure needed to be taller. It needed to, and to me, like it. It also has like a spindly feel to it. Like it almost feels like the arms and legs. Remember when you had those old early versions of Episode One Battle Droids? Uh, uh-huh. kind of like that where the arms and legs don't feel like the newer ones feel more rubbery the older ones still have that harder, harder plastic feel kind of like that but they kind of feel kind of thinnish are, are you thinking there might be a problem over time like with the battle droids I mean the battle droids were really I don't really know. See, I think the legs look nice and firm like the legs do look firm enough like it is a top heavy droid now I don't, don't, don't think it's not the dark trooper would be top heavy I just think uh, it, the arm is more supposedly not so much the legs because with the legs with the, you could I could say yeah but with these legs they look a little bit more firmer but I could see it possibly getting like that yeah, but it didn't it wasn't as bad as the battle droids but again this the overall execution considering it's a brand new figure made me sad and that's why it's my number third worst on the on the list. My number two would be a del- another deluxe figure, specifically one that came as I believe an exclusive. I can't remember if it was Walmart. Huh? Was the Tatooine Deluxe Boba Fett? The figure looks great. He even has a removable helmet for Tamora Morrison, which always looks crap, but this one looks great. Tamora Morrison, they did as a bold guy, like he is. It looks great. Yeah, he comes with two Stormtrooper helmets that are busted up. Which is not the right prop for that scene. He doesn't use helmets on busted up tattling. That's back on Python and the Mandalorian. But whatever, they gave it to him anyway. And I use those do use helmets for other things. 
My problem was the, the price was like twenty-some dollars for Boba Fett. I know people say there's no there's no such thing as a Boba Fett tax. Boulder Dash. That's all I'm gonna say about that one. Just the price of a put it number two. Because price is a big thing for me. When you start gouging prices, that hurts me. And that's how we come to my number one. Boba Fett on a single card, Morak, Target exclusive. It's basically the same figure as the Tatooine one, just with different hips. The tips, the hip, uh, are slightly different. Because in one he has bulgy hip hip pants, and when he has normal, like slicker. Now, again, almost a twenty ninety nine dollar figure on a no deluxe, just on a single card, as an exclusive. Outrageous! I saw multiple targets where he was starting to pile up. And really, he he only showed up at Target once around me and then disappeared. And he piled up at that. He piled up once or twice. And then, I mean, they're gone now. It's been after they got clearanced at like 13 bucks each or whatever it was. So Boba Fett being wildly overpriced. And in the one instance, I haven't seen accurate uh, accessories. They were my two and one worst figures. Again, the figure constructs are fine. The paint apps are great. The prices are getting out of hand. The the accessories, especially the guns, are getting way too gummy. We all know that. But Boba Fett, my worst too, just because I love Boba Fett. I've always loved Boba Fett ever since the vintage days when he was my... Because I couldn't find a Darth Vader with two, two hacks. But my buddy, let me have, who had multiple Boba Fetts, let me have one. And so I used him as one of my main villains. I I love Boba Fett. I just hate the exploitation of Boba Fett. Let's just say that. Whereas all Star Wars is being exploited from cash. When you have to expo- out-exploit even the exploiters of this IP, you've raised the bar on villainy, my friends. <laughs> that's, why he, that's why he is number two and one on my list. All right. Uh, we, we do have some intersections here. Um, so I'll do my five worst on the bottom. I have, as I, I should say, maybe least egregious in a way, um, is clones. And let me put it this way. I'm, I'm happy for the people that want to collect all the clones, but I so don't care. I didn't even bother memorizing the name of the particular clone I'm putting on the bottom. It's just a, another clone. I don't care if it's uh, uh Jesse fives. I, I don't know who they put out this year, but one of those clones will be in my in my bottom slot. Jesse, Jesse's in well this year. Uh, yeah, I, I I just don't care. It's not that it's necessarily a bad figure. It's just eh, more clones. Um, next on my list would be Costco Reeves. Really? Yeah, we we've gotten a lot of great Mandalorian figures. But that figure has two big issues for it for me. One is the paint. And it could even be that it's a very accurate looking paint. I don't know. But it looks kind of sloppy. And really, really dark. It Just something about it looks off. Um, the other thing, her face sculpt. She looks like a fish. Crossed yeah, with a horse. That little frown face she gave. Why would they sculpt her like that? Yeah, it is 
they gave her a really fugly face. <laughs> like give her just a neutral face, like everybody else. Don't give her like a like she's frowning. Like mm, she was she mean mugging during her three D scan. What the heck? Uh, yeah, I I don't know what's going on with that. So that is my number four for Casca Reeves. Uh, my next two for slot three and two would also be the two Boba Fetts. Oh, yes. And for the same reasoning, I would have bought them at regular retail price. You put that Boba Fett tax on, that's a nope Fett tax. Because I I don't have either one, I'm not going to pay it. They they got too greedy on that. So, guess what? I don't need them that bad. And then for my number one, only because it is... It's literally nothing to be excited about is R2 SHW, um, which is Antoc Merrick's Astromech. No. I I don't think the color scheme looks that great. It looks kind of like you just gave it to a kid to color and they don't know how to match colors. Um, so it, it's got an uninspiring paint job. It's just a simple repaint of an existing sculpt. And overpriced on top of it yeah it was now let me ask you do you have all the issues with that sculpt that so many other clickers do well i i don't know what issues they they have isn't that the uh build a droid no that's the uh entertainment earth six-pack version that has like the pop-up scope is it where it's the smaller body yeah it's slightly smaller but yeah um it bugs me from a consistency consistency standpoint like, I understand they made that slightly smaller body because they said that is more accurate. But when you've already put out, like, a hundred Astromechs that are all the same size to then make one smaller, I, hmm. Yeah. I, know, it, I, I don't have that big of an issue with it. I I just assume some Astromechs are built different. Some are smaller than others. I mean. I, I wouldn't have a problem if they said we need to make this improvement and every single astromech going forward is going to use this mold because then at least they're being consistent. Like we've gotten different stormtroopers over time. And generally when they come out with a, uh, an updated one, that's kind of the standard. Um, so I have more of a problem if they keep going back and forth on it than if they just, switch scale and then stay consistent so um other than that i don't really care i don't own it uh for the reasons i already uh laid out as far as what you said about the dark trooper i did not put the dark trooper on either my five best or worse because mine are currently processing and going to be in transit from big bad toy store so i don't have my hands on it to really judge it all right, um, so why don't we then do five best, and you can go first again. All right, all right. Well, my number five best because uh, was because I when I first saw it, even though I was not a fan of the media when it came out, I thought that's a good character design. He didn't do a lot, but it's rumored that he did, and I loved it. The Mandalorian Super Commando Captain with the horns on his head. Uh, yeah, I was glad more, we finally got him. Glad he was a one, and he he made it. He he edged out a few others that I was really, really wanting to 
put it in there, but I didn't for other reasons. Uh, number four, the Death Watch Mandalorian from Mandalorian Season 1. But that was a great sculpt, great paint job, working visor, or working uh, viewfinder. Um, my only issue is that it might have made... He even had the barbell hips, actually. Yeah, he was a great figure all around. Um, I know he's just like uh, uses parts from Din Djarin, but not all. But with updated hips. But you know what? Those updates really worked, and I liked it a lot. One one thing I like that they've started doing is uh, making making a greater cut in the elbows mm. and the knees, so that they can get a more lifelike pose where instead of you know their their arm moving 95 degrees now it can move like maybe 105 or something yeah we in, in case in point this guy because remember the promo shots him down on one knee shooting was glorious yeah uh, yeah i i have uh, one of mine displayed that way yep yep number three was uh, a character from multiple new medias actually three new medias and she's been a great she was a great little figure was number three was Finnick Shand figure came with uh, a swappable head for her helmet as they should as a removable ponytail she had a good mix of plastic and soft goods um, and the face scope was great and she came with uh, her rifle and her, her pistol too if I remember correctly um, and I loved just how it looked in motion with that figure. And a great card back. And really, for customs, that's a great little figure, too, with her uh, her outfit. Her outfit aesthetically looks great, too. And, uh, yeah, she gets my number three. For my number two was a deluxe figure. And that's probably not who you think when, you, when I say deluxe, because even though everyone might think it's one character with an owl, it is not this owl. Unless this owl is made of black metal, has three legs and lights up a bunch of rebels, because mine was the Imperial Stormtrooper Navarro Cantina with the E-Web Cannon, with an all-new E-Web Cannon molded up and made into multiple pieces in the new in the Stormtrooper based off the VC-140 mold, but with an updated with updated uh, visor for the helm to tweak out those details and without the big uh, bell-bottom ankles armor. And most importantly, he can sit in the Imperial Troop Transport because he doesn't have a holster. That's what I liked about him. He is my number two. For those of you thinking that there's not much difference between him and the regular Stormtrooper, again, that holster means a lot. Had that holster been on a removable peg so he could sit down, he'd be my number two. He's not even going to listen now. That would actually be good if they had it on a on a peg of some sort so it could actually swivel at the very yeah. least. Yeah, well, anyway... So, Argentina number two. Loved it. Came with the fire effect and the web and the new e-web cannon, which we used a lot. And, uh, yeah. And my number one, which should come to no surprise as much as I talked about it in other shows, is the new Darth Vader, The Dark Times. Uh, let me go ahead and share a screen on Darth Vader, because that figure... It is going to be a base for many Vaders to come because he basically, whoever looked at him, because you know, they just did a Darth Vader a couple years ago for the Rogue One version, if you remember. 
which was similar to this, where he had the tunic over his over his shoulder armor. Well, this one from the Obi Wan Kenobi show had the tunic under the armor. But the main difference was the head sculpt was redone, and the arms was re- were redone as well as all the articulation. I think he does come with. Does he come with the barbells? Yes, he comes with the barbell hips as well. It is awesome. I love him. He comes with two sets of hands, one for carrying the lightsaber, one for pointing and choking people out. Here's his accessory set loadout right here. Yeah, that was a nice addition. Yeah. And, and something it, normally we don't get. We generally do not get bonus hands yeah. on a uh, vintage collection figure. They updated, they gave him, they would like the more recent lightsabers. They took away the flare at the hilt, thing, at the tip of the hilt, or the base of the hilt. Like it should be. I don't know why they can't put it in there. He looks menacing as this figure. So much so that he's I put he's he's up there knocking off the two thousand the black series the black series three and three quarter figure for uh I think it was number number three or number twenty six, two thousand fourteen. Uh the the revenge, the revenge of the Sith Vader from like two thousand and fourteen. That yeah, was sometimes I'm trouble keeping my Vader's straight, but yeah, I, th- I think the Revenge of the Sith one is probably the next best. Yeah, it man. So yeah, very much my number one, the Dark Times, Darth Vader. All right, so I'm gonna run through mine. So for number five, I have Mix Mayfeld. Ah, nice. Because uh, I, I mean, one thing that is gonna help get someone on the list as if it's an all new figure and uh as well as just being a good sculpt and a good likeness uh you know they've already used him to also do uh Din Djarin in the same outfit uh you can leave the helmet on you can use him as an army builder um there's nothing super special about the figure but they're just really solid good figures for my number four, I have Riva. Uh, regardless what people may think about, you know, her her character in the Kenobi series, she's a good figure, and uh, so I rank her at number four. Also, she's entirely new. For three, I think is the same as yours, Fennec Shan. Hmm. Um, again, all new figure. They did a really good job. They have a couple accessories with her. Uh, even have painting on the soft goods. You know, they got the the orange printing on it. Oh, yeah. Comes with swappable head. Uh, I think it's a pretty good figure. So that's number three. My number two isn't necessarily the best made figure, but it's one that we have desperately, desperately needed for about a generation quite literally, of collecting, and that is Figrin Dan. Oh, yeah, you know, you might see him in my humble mission. Think about it, think about it. There are kids approaching drinking age that were not born the last time we had the Cantina Band figures. Agreed, agreed. So, um... I I don't care for the, um, the knees... The knees feel like they're down lower than knees should actually be. That is my one gripe. 
however, I have desperately wanted them to come out with a new version of these band members for so long. Yeah, it's good. That is Power of the Force 2, and then Power of the Jedi, they dressed them up in cloth or something like that. Yep, yep. So that that's why they're at number two. Um, and then my number one is the same as yours, and that is the Dark Times Vader, mm. which is so good, I bought two of them. Wow, really? You want yeah. to that? Yep, because I haven't opened the second one yet, but uh it it's definitely i think the best vader we've ever gotten i do think the head and it could just be that i'm used to seeing the other vaders i have the head does feel a little bit undersized Mm. and the body even feels a little bit undersized um i haven't like right now i have him posed facing off against reva which she's a little bit shorter anyway um I really need to pose him next to another Darth Vader figure or like a stormtrooper or something like that. I am curious to see if he appears undersized next to another figure or not. Mm. But as far as sculpting goes, yeah, top notch. So, yeah, those are my top five. Uh, let's go into honorable mentions. All right. One of mentions for me, I had four or five of them. Reva was one of them. Like you said, regardless if you see the character, the figure was so nice. I, and she'll be used for customs for other stuff. Um, the face sculpt was great. The, uh, of course, her dark outfit looks great. You can customize that into plenty of sit, uh, female cis or whatever you need to. Maybe a dark ray might come out, of that, come out of that body. Which I wouldn't mind, even though people don't like Revenge, uh, Rise, of Sky, Rise of Skywalker. I like it better than some of the other sequels. And I liked it in the Dark Ray. It was kind of cool to see. Uh, other honorable mentions would be, as you said, I know you don't like the, the clones, but a couple of clone repaints from the gaming greats, that Umbra Trooper, he was another one. He had, he's one that's in like the black with the yellow accents. I liked him real well. Uh, then there was, again, Finger and Dan. He was also one of my honorable mentions. And two others were Ahsoka Tano, just because she comes with a lot, of, even though she was deluxe with a lot of with some accessories, she is a well-made figure, and she was all new, and they reused her for the Corvus. Um, and even though I mentioned it earlier, and it's basically the Navarro Cantina Trooper with a holster, was the regular Stormtrooper from the Walmart exclusive five, or six of them they had, with, it comes with the holster in the back. The I do go grant the holster is not removable. Put it on a peg so you can take it off and he can sit down. But no one can deny for film accuracy that is the definitive A and H stormtrooper right there. There was uh, Lando in his Hawaiian shirt. I never thought in a million years we'd get that figure. <laughs> <laughs> See what you need to do with that figure is like make like a little. Uh like a little lawn chair and have him out on the beach for the Colt 45. There you go, dude. He's <laughs> got some, some, uh, Twi'lek girl, like bringing him the Colt. There you go. There you go. Uh, or last, and then there was a couple others, like, like you said, the, the uh, Din Djarin or the Migs Mayfield drivers were really well done. And that's a good base to start with for, to get Imperial army troopers. 
And there was uh, the Obi-Wan from the three-pack with Tika. That entire three-pack was nice. You get the Phase 2 clone trooper, the little Jawa Tika with her, his little, his accessories and his little jacket. And you had the Tibidon uh, Station Obi-Wan with his blue outfit with a cloth shawl, a pistol, lightsaber in, lightsaber hilt, and a backpack you have to put on the guy, which doesn't have snaps on it, by the way. So you have to actually put your figure's arms out like he's actually like a real person getting dressed. And put, in, and put the backpack on him. Nice. So it was rather... That was a good honorable mention. I didn't mention it just because it came so late. I haven't had enough time to mess with it and really play with it. Um, but had it came like a month ago, it probably would have made the top five. Hmm. Might put it in the next year. We'll see. Yeah, for my honorable mentions, uh, I have the, the Stormtrooper with E-Web because uh, I'm really glad to see that we, we have a properly scaled E-Web. And it's definitely the best uh, original trilogy Stormtrooper sculpt we've gotten. Um, the other honorable mention I would have is the Death Watch Mandalorian that you that you had had on your five best. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I also liked the other Mandalorians we got, like the the, the Airborne Trooper and the uh, the, the Red yeah color. the Commander and stuff. But we got so many Mandalorians that I, I didn't want to have the whole list just dominated with Mandalorians. Uh, but that Death Watch Mando in particular is amazing. Like it is right up there with the uh, Return of the Jedi Boba Fett we got a year or two ago. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, right, right up there. And despite the price of the figures, I actually bought three of those Mandos. Nice. So yeah. I have I have the three of them. I have Casca Reeves, Bo Katan, and Axe Wolves. I have like a whole squad. So nice. that's uh that's my other honorable mention. So we have with us as our guest this evening Jamie Follis, otherwise known as Silov. Did I say that right? Siloff, Siloff, whatever. Whatever you, want, whatever you call it. So, yeah. So, uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, you are someone I kind of had on our short list that I wanted to get on as a guest uh, w- when we started doing guests on our show because I've admired your work over the years. Um, I think the first time I saw anything from you, it was when you did Steampunk Wars. Yeah. Where you had, uh, you know, a series of steampunk themed star wars figures and i'm actually a uh i'm a big fan of the steampunk look i actually have a full-size r2d2 that's a steampunk r2d2 that's awesome so that that's kind of right in my wheelhouse is some of the stuff i love so is that the first custom you did that really like got you a lot of attention that's the one i think i did one right before that which was i did like a gaslight justice league which was like a victorian superman kind of inspired by like the um gotham by gaslight batman um then i thought well this is kind of fun this i love i'm a history teacher and i I like the history thing so i thought well with star wars would be like and i just kind of started doing it ended up doing like 30 figures and yeah that one really took off that was like on starwars.com and all different websites started picking it up and that kind of I think got me more publicity. I've been doing it since, you know, when I was a kid, I did it in the eighties. Then I did it in the nineties. Like we would customize and post them on message boards and forums. But then that was the first one that really like, cause right after that one, um, like Sam Witwer 
contacted me and he had me make him some figures. Um, and I, I thought well, I've pretty much arrived at this point because that because of that steampunk line. Oh wow! Okay, so I I think we need to turn back turn back the time machine a little bit and uh, start early on because where where did you come up with the name Silov? So I am a high school history teacher and uh, I teach world history, uh, comparative religions, and filmmaking. Um, and I I don't know I just always wanted to kind of keep it. My stu- I didn't want my school life to be separate from my private life. I just the, the kids wanted to know about it. So like I would go away for the weekend to be at, like at an art show or convention, and they would be like, "Where were you?" And I would you know just I went on vacation, and then uh, eventually they figured it out. Like I had kids who like figured out what it was, and then one kid said, "You're like Hannah Montana," and I did not like that comparison. But I had this <laughs> other life. That's how teenagers thought about it, you know, ten fifteen years ago. So. <laughs> It was one of those things you make up because the internet was so different 20 years ago. Like I said, it was mostly message boards and forums. So we all had like call signs. Um, then over the years, like talking with you on Lucasfilm and stuff, they recommended that I switch to my, my real name to be more professional. So, so now this was probably before social media. I'm, well, no, I yeah. guess we had like MySpace, right? Yeah, I wasn't really big on that. It was like, for me, I would just make some figures and I would post them on a website and then I could kind of sit back and see how long it took for them to like get out into the world. It was much different back then. A lot of blogs would post my stuff, like in like very specific fan blogs and Rebel Scum and places like that. And then it just it would kind of like seep out into the uh, out into the world. Like, I, I mean, I had Twitter, but that was way later. Um, it was before Facebook. Um, so so now what does the name actually mean, though? It is so, just my last name backwards. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. That, that is that is as clever as I got. Uh, I, it, for some reason, I I was thinking it was, uh, for example, you you would have toys or something up on a windowsill, right. and it was coming from the sill of. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> that's much more creative. No, I just was like, I was like, I'll just, I had. I had well, you can to- use that if anyone yeah. asks you. Just yeah. just give them that story if you like it better. Yeah. I had a fictional culture in my class, and I called them the Silophytes, which was my last name backwards. And just to throw, and then I I was trying to give a name and. And I also, for some reason, I thought it was before you could really have access to analytics. It was a way I could track my success on the internet because I could Google search my name. And because I had made that word up, like, like I remember when, they, when I would type in Siloff, there'd be 20 hits or 100 hits or 1,000 hits or a million hits. So it was a way to kind of like track my analytics before those analytics were readily available to people. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so... Uh... Yeah, I I first saw your your Steam Wars thing, and it may have been um, when when you sent us some photos. There was an article, I believe it was from Bonnie Burton. Yeah, uh, talking about your stuff. It, that may have been what you know how you got my attention. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I remember that article. Yeah, it was, it was stuff like that. It was people like at Gizmodo or Bonnie Burton or various, like I said, like sci-fi channel websites posting my stuff because it was kind of niche and unique at the time. It, was, it wasn't a lot. Customizing wasn't that big. Not that it's huge now, but it was it was unique because what I was doing were generally like unique designs that weren't just um, the traditional versions of characters, which now seems I get, kind of commonplace. You go to a convention and there's 
all the mashups, but like when I did the Samurai Star Wars, like I spent weeks Googling it and no one had ever done like a Samurai Star Wars mashup. That was one of my rules in the beginning was if somebody else had even drawn it, I didn't want to do it. Um, and then it was in my mind, it was more like, what would a Samurai Star Wars look like? And then I would know once I finished the line. Um, but now you go to a convention, there's Samurai Star Wars toys, there's people cosplaying as Samurai Star Wars, you know, so. So let's go back to, you said you've been doing this for about 25 years. What yeah. What was the first custom you ever did? So um, a couple years ago, I, Lucasfilm actually filmed the documentary, but it weirdly got bought by Verizon and they got put on this app called Go90 that died. So there's a documentary out there where I think we kind of go through the whole history of it. Um, basically, the first thing I did was I chopped Luke Skywalker's hand off for Bespin. And then mm -hmm. I, I drilled a hole in it and put a Q-tip stick in it so I could put it back on, right? Then I chopped um, Luke's head off his X-Wing pilot and put the X-Wing head on. That's when I was younger. Um, that, that was the very beginning of it. And then began to kind of kit, kit bash kind of with like just the Kenner figures when you could buy them for like, you know, a dollar at a rummage sale or 50 cents at a rummage sale because that's all you really had. Mix and match them with G.I. Joe's. And then in the 90s, when like the Power of the Force line 2 came back, that was like, you know, they made like the really famous characters. But then I thought, well, they'll never make these really obscure cantina aliens. So I eventually made every single person that you see. It's not even on my website, but I made every single person you see in the movies. And then eventually, of course, Hasbro's made everybody. And so that's what kind of led me to like moving to the six inch figure scale and doing the redesigns because I knew that there would never be a version of that figure because it was kind of like frustrating to like you know make a really cool background cantina character then they make one too i don't know why it bothered me so so now what what is your favorite scale to work in so i for the for the bulk of my work for the past 20 years since like 2000s like when my website really kind of like took off it's been mostly the six inch stuff i think for the longest time that was kind of the scale you know you can get your marvel legends or your mcfarland figures and they were in that you know or neca so that's the scale like the the yeah. steampunk star wars is yeah everything yeah, every, almost anything you've seen is probably the six inch scale and it's a little bit easier to work in because you have more, a larger canvas to get the details and the, you know really nice painting it surprises me because i always just kind of made the assumption that it was three and three quarter inch and like to me that seems like that was earlier than the six inch was really around no i mean so like in the very beginning i like i did one of my first six inch lines was um dc direct had the six inch scales and i made a set of ralph McQuarrie figures using like dc direct figures um so in the beginning yeah it was really hard the six inch scale wasn't the thing but that why i did it was like Star Wars was, I didn't think they'd ever make a Star Wars six inch scale. So I thought this would make it different than like the traditional three and three. So you weren't, scale. you weren't having to modify black series so much as. No. Yeah. It was more like I find some random DC character like on Joe Acevedo's website and I would go find it. And then it's more like I, I have just bins of body parts. Um, it sounds weird, but I've got <laughs> drawers and drawers of pieces. And if I don't have it, I'll just make it. It's, it's, a, it's just functionality. Like, like if I got something, I'll use it. If I don't got it, I can sculpt it. But it's just about time because I just want to, I just, I have a, almost a compulsion to always be making stuff. And I don't want to be, you know, and I, and I, I set a rule that I don't ever buy more than one figure if I'm going to make a figure because you could easily spend 
$100 buying a bunch of six inch figures for one figure. So my rule oh, is yeah. I buy one figure. And then if I don't, if I don't have parts I can add to it, then I'll just sculpt it because I can sculpt it if I need to. But if I don't have to, I'd rather not. I'm just speaking for myself here, but maybe this applies to a lot of other people too. I think one thing that is so impressive about your work is that there's a lot of customs and, you know, I've, I've done a fair amount of figure customs too, but with your work, there's so much that I look at it and I say, it looks like the whole figure was sculpted. You know, it, 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 I, I look at a lot of the figures you've done and I'm like, you know, did you sculpt that head? Because it, it doesn't look like it comes from any figure I know. And maybe some of this stuff is from some other lines that I'm not as familiar with. But I, I think that's one of the things that makes your work so impressive is everything kind of looks scratch made. Thanks. Yeah, I try to like blend the style. Like I've got figures that are 100% scratch made. And I've got like my steampunk Boba Fett, I think had parts from 45 different figures in it. Um, just from bins and boxes of little, of little things here and there. But I tried to blend the style and make it look like a cohesive, seamless thing that all works together. So like I'll spend months planning. Like I have an Excel spreadsheet with rows and columns of ideas and things I want to work in, like certain visual motifs for like, what does 3PO have to have to make him look like 3PO? I want the, I used to want the lines like somebody could look at it and not realize that it was Star Wars, then go, oh, wait, I get it. It's, it's Star Wars because they all look like, like it could be a Western, but it could also be Star Wars as a Western, right? And, it, and so the idea was like all the inspirations that made up Star Wars, what if my first line was a complete redesign of Star Wars, then it was called, it was called revisions. And then the idea was what if I isolated each individual influence of Star Wars and just showcase that? So we did just samurai Star Wars, just Western Star Wars, just like the, like Lord of the Rings fantasy Star Wars, just Flash Gordon Star Wars. And those were like the experiments of like, what would a purely Flash Gordon Star Wars have looked like? And so I'll watch a lot of movies from that era. Um, and like I try to incorporate certain design elements and homages to those other films, certain aesthetic looks, but then also kind of looking at Star Wars and go, what about this is Art Deco that lends itself to Flash Gordon. So it's a, lot, a lot of thought goes into them and then, trying to make him look like one cohesive thing. Am I correct? There, I don't think there was any in the pictures you gave me, but it seemed to me, didn't you do a, like a Masters of the Universe? Yeah, um, Bobby Masters. Moynihan from SNL bought that line a couple years ago. Um, that was what I made. So when they, so the guy that had supersized me was doing this documentary for Lucasfilm called In a Galaxy, and they showcased me as like the toy guy, and I needed me to be making something. I, so I actually just came across that on uh, one of the free, one of the free Roku channels. I, I it's have out there. I, yeah, and I and I was like. I think I I think I saw that documentary back when it was yeah. out, but I don't know. I'll have to, I've got I'll a have copy to of it, but like I said, it got lost in like corporate mergers and acquisitions. But like, it, if, if you I, look at, um, I'll Google it. Yeah, it, it's on Tubi. Okay, yeah, Tubi. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. Thank you. So they, yeah, they, they have they, a bunch of obscure documentaries. Okay, I mean some documentaries on incredibly incredibly niche things there's one all about the n64 golden eye game <laughs> okay <laughs> sounds like a good rabbit hole i could get lost in yeah but the he-man line they, they so they showed up and they needed me to make something and like most of my lines like i said took like a lot of th thought and planning so i just was like that was a real like what, what's a re easy one i was like he-man star wars 
So they followed me around. We went to like the comic book shop and I bought some, they gave me some reference material. I went to the toy store and bought some, some figures and they came home and they watched me like make C-3PO in the He-Man style. So then, yeah, so that line was very cool. And then, like I said, Bobby Moynihan, who I made some figures for him when he was on SNL and he's bought a few of my things since then, but then he like bought that entire line, which is cool. I just think it's cool that it's out there. So now how, how, how did you like just, happen to come across like all these interactions with different celebrities i mean i like to think that like you know my, my stuff is kind of unique and it kind of got um people's attention um i saw like the seth Wh- sam whitmer was the first big one um which was weird because i was playing force unleashed like when i got his email and i'm like i'm literally playing i didn't say this but like that was cool and then pat Oswalt is probably the first big one he kept talking about me and in, like interviews like I've, i have a print magazine interview from empire magazine where he's talking about me and then he mentioned me on twitter and then i just reached out and I said hey thanks for the publicity and then he was like i've made i've made over three different commissions for him over the years and you know when you do he's so popular with social media that like i put a put a line out with him and it's like i got a million hits in one day on my website um and then after my first patent line, Seth uh, Myers from SNL had, had a show called The Awesomes and it was on Hulu. And the voice cast of The Awesomes was basically SNL, like Sam Hader and uh, all these guys, um, Bill Hader and um, Keenan Thompson, guys like that. So they hired me to make a figure of every character on the show, which is an animated show. So they wanted me to blend the look of the actor that did it. And then they kind of gave all those to the crew as like a rap gift. And then that kind of became my thing for a while. Like I Billy Bob Thornton movie hired me and I had to make figures of all the cast and they gave them to the cast and they were done. And then I like supernatural. I mean, I this thing for super, the TV show supernatural. And then um, I think it's just word of mouth and people see things and go, Oh, he works for other people. He's professional. Um and just kept getting more, more and more notoriety. And then like Stephen Colbert and then the Mythbusters. And then I had Guillermo del Toro art show piece that he got, which was cool. Um, so I think it was just over. I mean, you've been doing, I've been doing it for a long time. My name is out there. Um, it get, well, my stuff, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think what happens with, with in a lot of cases, as may have been what happened with you, is I've noticed sometimes there's like almost like, just a little fence you have to get over yeah and if you get over that fence everything kind of come becomes like a perpetual motion machine where you have to stop doing the hustle quite so much yeah you were fortunate enough to be able to get to that point where now it just kind of goes and goes on its own yeah it's like i I did the hustle early on and then i kind of got over that i think it's a good way to put it like over that fence and then it became a little easier which is why when instagram came along like it totally changed the game, like my account got hacked a couple, like two years ago and I lost all my followers. And so it's really just hard to like that constant hustle. So like, um, yeah, like once you get out there, like my stuff got reported, like MTV did articles on me and intimate weekly and, you know, big magazine, like Huffington post. Like it was like news when I did a line, which was kind of cool. Um, and so then that, when you would Google stuff, you would see my name in like those big publications. And I kind of like, he said, made it past that wall. And then it was like, okay, He's more than just like a guy that does this for fun. He's a professional. Well, I think that's what helps too, is the people who are promoting you or posting about your work. I know like this year, one of the goals I set for myself, I'm like one of my own worst promoters because it's almost like that could be an entirely separate job. And I'd rather be 
creating than telling people, hey, I make cool stuff. And and it's really tough because sometimes I'll I'll contact someone and I just don't hear anything. I'm like, are they getting my email? Yeah, you know, it's, I hate it. I hate the algorithm. I hate the way it's all set up. It's just so hard. It was so much easier back in the day. I feel like, you know, I feel the same way. People are like, oh, you should make YouTube videos. Yeah, but that would be a full-time job. Like, and for me, like, I love teaching. I tell the kids that on day one, like I could quit te- teaching and make more money doing this other stuff. But I, I, I genuinely enjoy teaching. Um, I do this as a stress reliever. And if I was to quit my job and do it full time, I think it would be a stress causer, right? To have to like always be grinding and hustling. I know like when I have an art show in LA, like I'm away from my family and I don't see my daughter and my wife and I, I, I don't like that. So I've made a choice a long time ago that I'd rather just be making stuff. And if people like it, that's cool. And if they don't, that's cool too. But like, I just, I just don't want to do the crack the algorithm and Instagram and Patreon. It's, it's a lot of awesome people who can do it. It's just not what I'm into. I, I, yeah, I'm it, into, it, yeah. It's a lot of work. And I don't even like, I don't even have an Instagram. I pretty much have Facebook. Uh, and you know, occasionally I'll post videos of stuff, but it's great that you have a job, like a regular day job that you love as, as well. I was in a situation where it was just something to make money to pay the bills and yeah. hopefully my business grows to the point I can I can quit that and just do the business full time, which thankfully I've been able to do for like the last seven, eight years. But yeah, there is there is truth to the fact that when your hobby becomes your job, you kind of enjoy it less. I love making the first of anything new. Yeah. But when I've cast my 700th of that part for somebody it, it is a bit of a slog and there's times where after i'm done working there's my own stuff i want to work on and i don't do it because yeah. i'm like i already did that for eight hours i don't feel like spending more of my time yeah doing and with, it. And with my figures like they're one of a kind so like i can charge a little more and i got a little more notoriety so i don't have to worry about like banging a bunch of them out and like i can say no like uh Two years ago, I got approached by the ad agency that did like Nike's Just Do It. And they wanted me to sculpt a life-size statue of um, Warren Buffett. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to say no because they they thought I was like a whole company. And I was like, I'm just a guy with a basement and a studio. And they so I had to say no to it. But it's like I say no to probably 95% of the stuff I get asked to do. But I can say yes to the really fun things. And then I I can still focus on the things that I want to do. Now, has there has there been a situation where you made something for yourself and people were like, I'll give you money for that. And you had to say no, because you want it for yourself or were you willing to part with it? I I've, I've said no more times. Usually when something as new and I made it, I made it for myself and I love it too much to sell it. Then I'll wait a while and, I'm, and it kind of loses its luster and I've moved on and I'll, and I'll sell some pieces. There've been a couple of things where they just offered me, crazy stupid amount of money and i can't say no to that and i can always make another one um you know from my own personal collection i'm not flooding the market with them i don't make molds of anything i but uh yeah so i I usually say no but if it's like they they just want to have it and they've got money uh that's fine i'll i'll say yeah to that i see you have a photo of uh of the cover of the book inspired by the force uh the rancho obi-wan book oh yeah 
I don't have my copy in front of me, but what part did you make in that? Like what page? So there, so um, I made a figure. So Steve, so I've worked at the Star Wars Celebration since Celebration 2, running the Diorama Workshop with Frank. And we recently took that over, my partner Alyssa and I, um, under the name DIY-Arama. So we did the last Star Wars Celebration. Um, and Steve would always be super awesome. And he'd come by the booth and he'd let us come into his booth before the show opened up. And so one year as a gift, I made him a figure of him as Obi-Wan and then... Uh, one year we went over to, the, to his booth at Celebration and he had the figure in his booth, which I thought was like, it was super touching. Like my figure was like in the, the road show he was taking around. He said, oh no, it's in my book. So there's a picture of the figure I made of him as Obi-Wan Kenobi holding a little mini action figure of Obi-Wan Kenobi like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And he um, include, included that in the book. So um, now I've got like, I think six or seven pieces at the ranch, which is very cool just to be part of that collection. That's um, nice. I, I have my Rebel Transport in the book, and oh, okay. I, I think the celebration you meant you mentioned where that was the theme was all fan made stuff. Yeah, and uh, you know he has the Rebel Transport, which which that I normally don't finish stuff, but when I got the order and I recognized who it yeah. was, I was like, "Holy crap, Steve Sansweet just bought something from me!" And I contacted him. And I said, "I normally don't finish stuff, but do you want me to?" paint it up for you and he said yeah i'm like okay that's awesome so, I'll, I'll, look, I'll look that up when we're done here that's cool you know i've followed your work but i was really impressed your craftsmanship it's so top-notch and so finished like i think anything you're customizing or modeling the kind of wash you put on it or the kind of weathering you put on it it's very difficult to strike the right balance and sometimes you'll see customs that just look like to weather the figure. They put it out in the dirt and rolled it around. And then other yeah. ones, they almost look too factory made. Yeah. But I, Not, I yeah, the, the wash, I mean, when I first heard about wash, it was like, you know, in the 90s, like it was a game changer. It, it was what makes my figures look like my figures. It's got that grimy, lived in Star Wars look. My trick is it's just the cheap acrylic paint from like Walmart with some water, but then I wipe like 90% of it off, right? It's a lot of, you see Adam Savage do it now and it's a lot of like, you know, put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off, just layers and layers and browns and blacks until it looks, looks right. But it's what, it's what really, like my figures look okay. And then that wash is always that last little bit that like makes them pop, I think. Now, one problem that, that I've had with acrylics is um, in the, in the joints. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to shave your oh, joints yeah. down sometimes but because the plastic rubs against each other. Or so, sometimes problems I've had is it just touch it with your fingernail wrong. And it's like, ah, you scratch yeah. some of it off. I'll put a sealer coat on. And then years ago, I honestly, I just started gluing them in position. Um, you know, you sell somebody a, a figure for the prices I'm getting and then it gets paint rub because they were moving it a lot. It's, you know, or they break something off. So I basically sell them as like, art collectibles like almost like a statue that looks like a figure because i I pick, I pick a cool pose pretty generic but like I glue them in place and then i i, I don't want to have to you know because then people like send it send it back to you because they paint rubbed off at the elbow i used to do that you know, I remove the material in the joints and so now i just kind of glue them in place and then uh paint them from there and so it's more like a statue than a, than a toy well certainly understandable so uh let me ask you what are your favorite figures or brands to use as fodder hmm i feel like my base figure doesn't really matter um i can get i can, I can I usually the base figure is like almost like a skeleton i sculpt the clothes and things like that what i really buy figures for are like the accessories the details 
So things like McFarlane figures and NECA always have like really great details and lots of little things I can add on to it, pouches and things like that. This, like I said, this is before 3D printing and now you can just, I can just go upstairs and use my resin printer and crank out pouches and things like that. But um, You do one-offs of everything, but say yeah. you wanted a, a, a pouch on a figure, you actually do model it and print it out? Yeah, now, I, now I can do that. You know, I, I bought a resin printer like two or three years ago during during uh, quarantine. And I was like, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to, I've always wanted one. And the resin thing was really impressing me what, what it could do. And so, and like recently on um, my Instagram, I've been posting a lot. I've been doing, I just did a, since the last year doing like a hundred vintage Kenner style figures of like, what if Kenner had had Ghostbusters, but it looked like Star Wars figures. So I've got Goonies, Ghostbusters, Labyrinth, Blade Runner, Highlander, um, Alien, Aliens, all in that Kenner style. And I'm, I'm using the 3D printer almost exclusively for those. I, I'm not really selling them. I just wanted to like, I just love the vintage look the most. That was one of the first things I did is I have a, I, and down on my shelf of all my vintage Kenner, I've got one of my wife and, and my and myself and my daughter as a Jedi. And they're just right on the same rack with the original original figures so yeah those are the ones i did way those are my very first ones back in the 80s so like you can see it's like the head of like boshek is the pilot from the gi joe sky striker right like that's me as an x-wing pilot and a, and a jedi there at the top next to uncle owen i think the bigs dark lighter is a gi joe head um the cabe a little bad guy like I, I made that head out of like whatever passed for like clay at michael's back in the day um the the figures that are labeled here bk what, what yeah. what's the bk for so um so my my website had its 20th anniversary in 2020 and i wanted to do something special so the idea was the very first line i did was the revisions which was all of the star wars influences together mashed up again so then i broke down all the influences into its various lines then the idea was what 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 have i learned in 20 years so I basically did the re revisions line again. And so it's it's Samurai, Western, Steampunk, Flash Gordon, not Steampunk, Flash Gordon, all rolled into one. So, and then that was the, over, over during quarantine, I wrote a book. Um, most of my figures over the years, I've sold most of them just because I wouldn't have room for the thousands of figures I've made. So I wanted to have something on my shelf to kind of look at my life's body of work. And so I kind of made a book. And then those were the photos I took kind of in the Kenner style of that 20th anniversary line. And I, I love that. I absolutely love that line. Um, the R2 has two Lego parts as the antennas. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, those are Lego parts. <laughs> One of my rules is like, I never want to use Star Wars parts in my Star Wars figures to make them look more unique. Um, so yeah, those are some Lego parts. Um, I think the arms, the legs are from the X-Files McFarlane. It was a like an alien pod display piece that came with it and i think hmm. the center part is like from like a metal gear figure maybe uh and the bottom is like a piece of constructs and then the head i sculpted and the, the tank treads i made from polystyrene yeah and that's the back it, it of the constructs yeah. like the um yeah the the, the building toys yeah. yeah i had a bunch of those sets i was all about building oh yeah robotics like yeah yeah i had robotics of course lego and yeah, yeah that, that's really cool so um you decide to make a book and yeah. and that's something that i've thought about not for my own work but i often thought that that was something that would be cool to make some sort of reference book yeah and uh we actually had one as an interview um rich a lot who was one of the one of the authors behind the blue milk uh vintage archive right. book 
And uh, so I was asking him, you know, when we had him on about his experience as far as the actual production. So you have it in your mind. You're going to make a book. Then what? How do you go about the the, the so, process? So for me, it was just like I've always enjoyed writing. I wrote a lot in college. I had all the photos. I had taken all the photos over the years before I sold all the figures. I had kept them. And I just during uh, COVID, I, I was high risk and I just, you know. I stayed home and I was like, I, I made a life-size Han and Carbonite. I, I made a full-size uh, arcade. I just was super busy that, that year. And I was like, I'm going to make a book. And I wrote it all out and all the different chapters. And I had my friend who's a um, editor proofread it. And I just, I just put it on Amazon. It's super easy. You just got to download their format and upload it. And to me, I wasn't looking, I'm not looking to get rich. This, I just made it for myself. And I wanted to have a hardcover book that I could have on my shelf. And a lot of people have bought it, which is cool. Um, but, uh, now, did Amazon, did they take care of the actual binding, like the yeah. actual production? It's awesome. Like you you pick with a binding you want. You pick the paper quality, the ink quality, and um, once you upload it and it goes through their editing process and it's all been approved, then it goes in to production. And they, they, I don't, they literally print it and bind it and do it on a case by case basis. And then I just get paid for, you know, a percentage, which is less than if I had a publishing deal, but I don't really. Again, I just wanted to have a, it was, it was a fun bucket list project. Um, and it's a really nice hard binding and the pictures are super glossy. I was, I was really happy with it. That's interesting because uh, with the Blue Milk book, that was actually produced differently. Like they actually had it sent off and printed and everything. Yeah. I mean, there, that was a more legit thing. Like this is just, you know, self-publishing it through Amazon's publishing house. And it's a, it's a boutique kind of thing. And they, I think they literally print them on demand. So if you buy one, you'll get it like a week or two later once they run it through their huge factories. You know, if I yeah, had... I, yeah, print on demand stuff. I, I I'm imagining they probably make more on each issue than you yeah. do. Oh yeah, and I don't. It's a bulk thing. Like, you know, their reach is much bigger than my reach. And like I said, this isn't my retirement plan. This is just like a that'd be fun and like like a more of a passive revenue stream. Because like if I was an artist, I could sell prints. So like during COVID, I went through and I, uh, it's on my site, but I made movie posters for every single line I've ever done as if steampunk star Wars was a movie. And so now I sell those prints, you know, it was mostly, I wanted to get better at Photoshop. And now I just have a third party print store that, you know, and again, they make more money than I do, but a passive revenue stream to help out. Yeah. I, um, I, I write comics and it's the same kind of thing. Like, you can go on a print-on-demand place, and then you can get low print runs, but you don't really make a whole lot no. <laughs> by the time all is said and done. That's really that's really awesome. And so I, I'm assuming that if someone goes to your website to order the book, it basically yeah. just links them to, yeah, to the, the Amazon, Amazon page. Yep. And you can right. see there, like, I go through phases, like, I'll do custom figures, then I'll get into miniatures, and I do replica props, and dioramas whatever floats my boat or strikes my fancy i bought a bunch of diorama pieces from you guys and i got them more and more today they look awesome and uh making some more figures so i just i just go through you know phases so if if people wanted to commission a figure from you how yeah. would they go about it um so basically they just um they, if you contact me through instagram or my website it's just um, www.silloof.com. But if you search Siloff, it'll, it'll lead you to my website or Instagram. I feel like the website's easier because Instagram, unless you follow me, I think it goes into like a certain 
place in my inbox that I don't see as regular. Well, and, and just to view stuff, I think you need to actually sign up. Right. Yeah. yeah like I'm not, I, I'm not a huge fan of like social media, but like Instagram is such a visual medium. And so like, I'll make a figure and I'll just post a figure every day and, um, you know, put stuff out there. So you can contact me through the website or through Instagram. Um, like I said, I'm a full-time teacher. I, I produce a student film every year. We have the business where we work at the Star Wars conventions, um, the DIY ROM. Like the, the last one, we built the uh, entire season of Mandal, first two seasons of Mandalorian in miniature form. So we nice. work. That's a, that's a pretty time-consuming, you know, side endeavor. But you know, if if the commission sounds cool and I have enough time, uh, that's usually people don't mind. Like with Pat Oswalt, he just would kind of give me the amount and turn me loose. And he would be like star Wars meets Mad Max or the last, I, I felt like he was always trying to like stump me. And he was like star Wars as a Wes Anderson film. And then he just let, lets me go. And I, and that's what I enjoy the most is like, I, I like a lot of freedom. So I basically, if you're cool with like an open timeline or when I have time to get to it. And if you're cool with like, give me some freedom. Like if somebody's like, Oh, I want me as you know, a Jedi, like that's not really my, my jam, but if somebody has like a really fun idea that gets me excited, then it's, then it's more likely I'm going to find time to like, it makes some time my schedule to do that. Cause it just sounds too cool to not do. Yeah. I remember when I, when I first started, uh, you know, my prop making business, Yeah, but it, back then it was like, I couldn't afford to say no to anything. Yeah. So it's kind of like if someone came to me and, and said, Hey, can you make a, it would be yes. And then I would figure it out Yeah. <laughs> because Always I had yes. to build that customer base and, you know, you yeah. had to get the name recognition, but it's definitely nice that you have that freedom. Yeah. I think I, I just, you know, years ago, like it got to the point where it was getting really big. Like it was the number one thing on Reddit. I turned down a reality show. <laughs> Uh, they wanted to do a reality show and like everything was getting really, really big. And I was like, and I had to have a serious discussion. I had this thought and I was like, I like my life. I live in a really nice town. My daughter goes to a really great school. It sounds weird. Like I worked my whole life to get to that point. And then I got to that point. And if it was a movie, you know, I would move to Hollywood. Right. But like, I got to that point and I was like, you know what? Uh, I like my job. I like my life. I like where I live. I like my, I like, like my family. Um, I'm going to keep my job and I'm going to do this as a hobby and just kind of have fun with it. Well, and by the same token, I, I think there is a certain specialness to that too, that you're, that you're not a pro because I think if you got really big and say you, you hired five other artists or something yeah. all working under you, it would almost be too corporate. Yeah. And, yeah. and less, at home artist. Yeah, it's got that boutique, one of a kind, handcrafted kind of thing. Like, like I'm like I said, I'm not a factory. Like people think like I've got a whole bunch of people where I'm like, no, I've got it's just me and my in my studio. And there are people out there that like, you know, like I'm I'll I'll when I did the I they had me do a couple of panels at Star Wars for customizing and I had people on there with me that I love, like Dayton Allen, who goes by Sith Fire 30. Like his stuff makes me feel bad. Like his sculpting is so good. Right. Like there are better sculptors out there. There are better painters out there. I think my niche was like the uniqueness of, of the designs. Right. But yeah, I, I wouldn't want to have a huge big company. And no, I, I wanted to get out to one of your panels at celebration, but 
celebration just being celebration where every hour there's three things you want to get to or there's a line you have to stand in for the following hour (laughs) to get to something yeah that was the first one i did a panel there's a video on my youtube page of the line to get into it and it blew my that was like one of my proudest moments because like i could not believe it and it's, you know, it's so hard. I mean, we get to go there and work them now. So it's a little nicer with because I see the lines, like the line to get into the whole place, right? The line to get into the panels. It's just so much. Yeah, I completely understand it. So I've done, I think I've done three or four panels now. Most of them about customizing. The last one was about the DIY-rama business we've been starting up. But So as far as, uh, you know, figure customization, is there there any is there anything really outside of star wars that that you've done or is that mainly oh, like your niche no no like i did uh, i did 30 figures of dune based on the books alone and those are in a dune museum in um like poland i think um a dune I, museum I, wow there's who, there's who, a, there's, yeah, there's a dune a museum and this was like long before you know the new cool dune movie this was like, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. Um, I just love my favorite book. So, yeah, there they are, the Dune custom action figures. I had a bunch of Marvel stuff, but I had to take that down a long time ago. Um, got one of those fun letters. Um, really? So, now that, that's surpri- surprising. Well, and that's also why, like, I just decided to do my own versions of things. Right? Okay. Like, um, these are everything I do is my own version. They're, they're my own names. They're my own characters. And that way I can kind of avoid... So most of the stuff on my website, it's typically figures that I've designed. If it's something that looks like a like an existing property, I don't usually put a picture of it out there. Do you have like any completely original uh, characters yeah. or universe or anything that you do? Yeah, like a long time ago, um, a couple years ago, I was a guest of honor at a steampunk convention in Ohio. And... I showed it at that. I made an, I wrote an entire movie and it's a steam. It was a steampunk kind of movie. And I made, I, I, so I, I work on movies in my spare time as a production designer and I approach my figure lines as a production designer, like costumes and colors and motifs. And so like I designed an entire, I designed the movie I wrote and I made all the characters from it that I've done. They, people don't really, that's a harder thing to get on people's radars, you know, they all love Spider-Man or you know Han Solo, but do they? Oh, care? but believe me, I know there. Yeah. There's like props that I made that I would go to conventions, and every single convention, people would be like, "That's so awesome!" And then it would take me seven years to sell one. Yeah, <laughs> and you know they would be like, "Do you have anything from Batman?" Oh, okay, you know. Yeah, like yeah, I got getting... stuff that I've made that I I love it. It's super personal, but like it just I don't put it out there very much just because. And there are things I've made for my daughter that I've like the deal was I would never put it out in the world. It was just for her, you know, so, so I own, so my own designs that were just for her, but that it's just our little thing and nobody else's. So that's cool. I'd, I'd yeah. love to, uh, uh, years ago, th- this was before it was in between episode one and episode two. Um, I started working on a star Wars fan film with my one friend, um, because at the time we were really into film and our, our goal was we were going to be filmmakers. And right. that's how I ended up doing props was I was the MacGyver of the group. You know, if something needed made, Eric knew how to make it kind of thing. And I, uh, I've i done one figure uh, of a character from that fan film so far. 
Um, I knew I could modify an Imperial officer without too much problem. Right. And so I have one character uh, <laughs> from our fan film, but I, w- I would love to do like a whole line of the yeah. main characters at some point. Well, when I was a kid, I mean, I, I made movies with my friends and then I made some other movies as I got older. But like when I was a kid, I made a movie with um, Star Wars with my action figures. And then it's on my website. But my daughter, when she was like five, helped me make it again with like all my cool dioramas that I had made in the, you know, the 2000s. And so all the pieces I've been buying from you recently is I'm going to do it one more time with all the vintage customs I've made, but with all these really cool dioramas that I've made or bought pieces from you guys to go in and I'm going to kind of redo another, an entire stop motion movie with all my vintage characters, but with all my new dioramas. So nice. I sold, I, I did not realize looking at the YouTube channel that you made toy wars. Yeah. I did not realize I've watched, I watch a lot of fan fiction, fan movies from star Wars on YouTube. And I, I came across toy wars years ago. I just never put together. You hadn't made it. That's great work, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was, that was me and my daughter one summer in my basement, which is like, <laughs> you know, she was pulling figures through the scene with like fishing line and it was a fun little thing. And I was like, wanted to, I had just gotten a new editor and I wanted to try editing with my new, in my new camera. And I had all these cool dioramas I had made. And so, yeah, I, that, that, that has a hold of, holds a fond place on her because she worked on it with me and it's like our little thing. So thank you. No problem. And you're going to be remaking that. What you're making. Yeah. So that's, yeah. The pieces I've been buying from Eric are going into a much larger. Um, and I, I think the Toy Wars one, I, I stopped after they left Mos Eisley because I had never done a Death Star. I didn't have any Death Star pieces made. And this one is going to be like all the way through, like first frame of the movie to the last frame of the movie all because now with a 3d printer I'm, I'm able to like vastly improve my workflow and i can make a lot of stuff like right now upstairs i'm 3d printing pieces for the imperial um death star briefing room right and so nice and if i like so i'll 3d print a lot of stuff but then the stuff you got you have on the on the on the website it's i like the the quality of your casting is like top notch Oh, thank you. And it's just like, I can spend, I have a really tiny printer. It's like, I could spend a week printing this and, or I can just have you printed and it's going to come out sturdy and awesome. I'm just a little bit wondering how you got, like, I know you were talking about how you got into the collecting, uh, customizing community. I I remember you posting on, I think it was Imperial Shipyards years ago and you still might do it. I love them. Um, Rebel Scum and everything. Like, you mentioned some people you follow on these these social media and messages, but who are your? You said you there's some people that make you that you make like you think you make yourself look sad because of their, <laughs> their quality. Yeah, to well, me you followed you like the two guys. The one guy back in the day, his name was Bruce Ross, and he went by Glorbs because we all had stupid names. And whenever he would put a piece out, like he was the guy, like I was chasing. I was like, hit, and we worked together, made up, made a couple lines together over the years, and he can make the most complex. If you, I don't know his thing. He he made an Instagram account a few times. It just never took off, and. He, what he can do with polystyrene and I generally don't like fabric on figures and he always makes it look good. His stuff is like my favorite. Um, Josh Izzo. Um, I love his stuff. Um, back in the day, he, his stuff always made me really jealous. And then, like I said, that Dayton Allen, if you've never seen his stuff, like he sculpts in three and three quarter scale and he has done like every piece of the movie alien. He does Star Wars stuff too, but his his sculpting is is staggering. And like there's people like you know, like um, at the panel, I had um, 
few other people on. I, I don't follow it as much as I used to. I feel like it, I've gone through so many phases of the hobby, you know, like in 25 years, like the people I always think about are the people from back in the day. On, we, we would post on like Rebel Scum or there's a website called Foosh. And that's where we all posted our stuff. They're had, still around, I think. Yeah, yeah they, they switched to a YouTube channel and he's, he's loving it. Um, or there was a thing called Custom Con. And it was Joe Acevedo's website. And like four times a year, they would have like a virtual like art show. And we, you know, and that's where you'd see everybody's cool stuff. Um, there was a guy named Double Dealer. Uh, he yeah. Was, yeah, but he, his G.I. Joe things were super cool. So, yeah, I've I've slowly stepped into the customizing world and watching the uh, and just watching the amazing stuff. Like, custom figure photography has exploded in the yeah. last like five, 10 years. Have you ever thought about getting like, I, I, it's hard to like, imagine the roots of where it come from. Like, I saw some of your pictures where you're set up next to Frank DiOrio in the yeah. diorama workshop. Yeah. Like, did you guys ever do anything com- combining on that? Or so, like, that was the thing at Celebration Two, which was in Indianapolis, where I'm from. I walked into Frank's booth, and I was like, I had paid to be at the convention, and I spent the entire convention in that room. I was like, I found my people. And then at C3, he brought me on as staff. And then over the years, like, you know, we were like almost co-running it by the end. And then he stepped away from it um, at, the, at, at Chicago was his last one. And then he asked Alyssa Pierre, who's an architect, and myself to kind of take it over. And we've, we've kept it going. But he lives in Canada, so we were never really able to like collaborate on big projects. Our kind of, I, I would say like our collaborations are those huge dioramas that we built at the Star Wars celebrations all those years. You know, I'm really kind of wondering now if we may have actually crossed paths because my wife and I have, uh, I think it was Celebration 5, the first Orlando one. Yeah. And then the right. second Orlando one and the Anaheim one. We went yeah. we went to all three of those and and worked on the diorama. And yeah. I remember a lot of times Frank wasn't, wasn't around sometimes. Yeah. And... So we may have even crossed paths, and yeah, it is. It, I, I, I guarantee that we probably did. It's a, it's such a blur. Like I started following a guy um, called the Smuggler's Room, and he's like turning his basement into a Star Wars room. And I sent him an email, and he's like, "Oh no, we talked at Celebration a bunch." <laughs> it's such a blur because like I'm in that booth, and I don't leave the booth, and it's just a sea of people's faces and names. So I, I guarantee that we probably talked and and met. So at the next one, come find me, and then we can kind of put a face to a name and. Frank kind of, you know, got me started thinking about the making diorama part thing. Yeah. Because uh, some of the first dioramas I started making, I was using his plans. His 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 generosity with like making all those stickers and templates and just putting on his website for free, right? I mean, and I mean, we we would we would we would have we had kids come to that thing, right? Who are now have their own kids who come to that booth, like people who like, they come to that booth every year. It's like part of their convention experience. So at the last celebration, we had the biggest footprint of anything in the uh, um, convention. I mean, so there's a huge, huge niche, like, um, you know, over the years, like I remember like Kathleen Candy came through and um, Bob Iger. <laughs> I mean, we met George Lucas. There's a, that one picture of me and George Lucas, like all because of that, that booth right and um so yeah it's it's it was a really super cool experience and to keep it going now 
has been awesome. So we've already been talking with Lucasfilm. We are possibly going to go to London, but I think we're not going to go to London, but we're going to, we'll probably be at the next domestic. I'm really hoping and praying it's in Orlando again, because that is drivable for my wife and I, we have, we have our, uh, our van done up as a star Wars vehicle. And so the last Orlando show, we were actually in the convention center with all the star Wars cars. Oh yeah. I'm sure I saw your van then. Yeah. We were right beside the guys with the uh, fully functional speeder bike. Oh yeah. Oh, I I guarantee I have a picture of all. I'll go back and look through my pictures. Yeah, we have like a, a gray 80s G20 van with a big red stripe down the side. Okay, that's awesome. So so it was, it was really nice, too, because if we like got something to eat, we could literally just go back and sit in the van and have lunch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was like we didn't really have to go anywhere. And, yeah. and we over, always... over, over the years in our blueprints, we always built in a, a secret like war room in the middle, which was just a place to kind of like escape to to have like five minutes to breathe or eat or relax so yeah the van would have been nice yeah it was the the best parking we could uh hope for yeah (laughs) i would definitely like to uh thank you for coming on like i said this was kind of one of those uh those things where you were on the short list you know as far as hey what guests do we want to have on and and i knew you were one that i wanted to have on for a long time so well, thank uh, you. It means a lot to me. It was my pleasure. Like I said, I mean, I, I, I love the pieces you sell. Um, it was my pleasure to be on it. And it means a lot that, you know, you wanted to have me on. It was a pleasure. I just enjoy talking Star Wars with other people who like Star Wars and are creative as well. So. Well, I, I, I like to get more in into some of the nitty gritty uh, and, and stuff that's kind of on the fringes of collecting in a way. Because yeah. we are collecting podcasts and, and both both Matt and I do collect a, a couple other lines other than just Star Wars. We're mainly three and three quarter inch guys, but um, you know, there's so many podcasts that they talk, they basically run down a list. That's everything that came out, everything yeah. they got, everything up for pre-order. And it's kind of all the same stuff that everyone's talking about. And I think it's more interesting to talk to people about, their personal fandom and how that intersects with collecting because even though you're you're not necessarily going out and buying all the store-bought stuff you're still involved in that collecting aspect and you know me being a a diorama builder matt and i customize we're kind of all involved in that more niche area of collecting so you know, th- those are the kind of people we want to talk to because you never you never know when you're going to have, uh, you know, different tips to share and things like that. Like one thing I forgot I, I wanted to ask you is yeah. what kind of putty do you generally use? for um, epo- Epoxy Sculpt is my putty. Back in the day, I used to use like um, Sculpey and things like that. But I, I love Aves Epoxy Sculpt. Um, they have sponsored me in the past. Like, so like at conventions, they, they give me product and stuff. But they only sponsor me because I approached them and said, like, I absolutely love your product. Um, it's a two-part polymer clay. You mix it together. It gets hard um, as a rock. Um, I, I work in small batches. Like, Is that from SmoothOn, right? Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's not SmoothOn. It's Aves is the company. SmoothOn has a similar product, and they've sponsored I'm us. I'm looking at it right now, and, and, yeah. I, th- and I thought it was named Epoxy Sculpt. But... I, 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 like, I like Aves's a little bit better. Um, SmoothOn has given us their stuff as well. SmoothOn has this um, freeform air that I love. It's insane how lightweight it is. 
that like I sculpted that might entire... be what I have because yeah. I have like some uh, like a sample of it. Yeah, it's really hard to work with, but like when it's done, like it, I have a huge bust and it weighs like two pounds. Um, so if like weight is a concern, but as far as detail, I work in small batches. So like after my wife and daughter go to bed, um, even when she was a little kid, that was always my deal. Is I would I would sculpt once they went to bed, so it was never like cutting into like our family time. So I would always work in small batches. So like I stay up like another hour or two and I just do a bunch of like hair or clothing. And then the next night I'd go downstairs and it'd be dry and I could just sculpt onto it as an additive process like every night. But I, I like that stuff. It's easy to work with. It's, you know, it's, it takes a little trick to learn to sculpt with it, but uh, I love it. And it's, it's hard as a rock. I run, I can run that stuff through a pasta sheeter and I can make capes that like support their own weight without wow. like internal wires you know um, have have you tried um there's some stuff i got that someone had recommended called procreate have you tried using that yes yes i i, I liked it i i think for me i'm as at the point where like i'm really good with epoxy sculpt <laughs> and, and and it was a different style of having to work with it and i just was like went I stuck with what i knew and what i was comfortable with oh i oh i i get it because what you find works, it's kind of like, well, you don't tend to try something else when yeah. what you have works. If it, if it like, ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. I, I mean, I have like three glues, and I use those three glues for almost everything. Yeah. So they, they, they each have like their their pros and cons that I use, but it's generally always those three. <laughs> yes, I'm the same way. The paint, I, I think the tr one of the secrets to my painting was there was a, um, a model paint I used to use that they discontinued. And it was for trains. It was called polyscale paint. And I would go to conventions and guys were like, oh, I use this and I use that. And no one was ever, you'd have to go to the, you'd have to go to the train section of the hobby store. And it was the greatest acrylic I've ever worked with in my life. One coat, super smooth, no lines. Would could you could put it on a soft plastic and it would still dry. It never did that thing where it got gummy or stayed tacky. Even on like a rubbery cape, it dried. And then testers bought it. And then as soon as they bought it, they discontinued it. They just wanted to get rid of the competition. Oh. And I went, oh, into, the, I went oh. into the hobby store and I bought every bottle they have. I still have seven bottles of every color I use. I've, I've done that <laughs> on occasion with a few things where oh. I find out it's going to be discontinued. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm buying every one I find. <laughs> yep. And I'm, I'm out of blacks and whites, but I've got, I've got some blues left and some greens, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, that was, uh, I love the way that stuff looked. And that was part of the thing is like, you put that on my figures and you put that, that wash over them and it just like popped a little bit of sheen, a little bit of matte and then the dark gr grungy stuff. But well, anyway, um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was great having you on. Thanks. And uh, Matt and I said uh, maybe after we have a whole bunch of uh, interviews under under our belt, we'll have to uh, d do like a show and get a bunch get a bunch of people on. Oh yeah, a uh, customizer roundtable maybe. That'd be yeah, awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, count me really in. Cool. All right, sounds good. Bye. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Yeah, you take it easy. Yeah, take it easy. I'll start. see you guys later. Appreciate right. it, man. Appreciate the Bye. info. Great. Awesome. Have a good night. Kessel Run Collecting is sponsored by Hole in the Ground Productions, where you can find a broad range of do-it-yourself diorama kits for three and three-quarter 
and six-inch scale action figures. Check them out now at holeinthegroundpro.com. Kessel Run Collecting is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Disney. All sounds and images are property of their respective copyright holders. Thank <laughs> you.